0: Now, Daniel Carrington joins us right now, and a very special interview today, the Delta Society, Danny.
1: Yes that's right jane uh, we've We've spoken to Pam with us before a little while back in regards to Delta Society, so I thought it'd be great to get her back on air today. Hi, Pam. Hi, Danny, how are you? Great, thank you. Look, thank you for joining us today, and I just wanted to touch base with you and talk to you again about Delta Society, but first of all, for people who don't know what your organisation does, can you tell us a little bit bit about Delta Society?
2: Yes, we're a a not-for-profit charity, and we're all run by volunteers, which um, we take our dogs, our own dogs, into nursing homes, uh, hospitals, drug rehabilitation centres. Uh, local schools and uh, in the libraries in Lake Macquarie at the moment doing the bark program. Uh, they're just some of the places that we, we visit,
1: and we bring. Uh, you guys do such a ter- you, you guys do such a terrific
2: job. Thank you. Uh, we, we try we try to bring as much joy and therapeutic uh, benefits as we can to um, the local community.
1: Now, we've talked about instances when you've taken dogs to nursing homes to help patients, but you've just men- mentioned in regards to taking dogs to libraries. What's that about?
2: Well, the Lane Macquarie Council have got the Bark program, which is um, mm-hmm. helping children uh, learn to read and give them confidence to read out aloud. Uh, what happens is that they, the children, uh, they, uh, dedicated parents and children, they come after school and they read to the dog. And the dog is non-judgmental. So if the, do- if the child makes a mistake with the word or stumbles over the word or has a stutter, it, it doesn't um, judge them. The, the dog just listens to the story. And um, the child builds up confidence and so it, they can learn to um, speak out aloud in the classroom. And we find that they are interacting more in the classroom, and
1: there 's less truancy as well. how special is that? I can just imagine a, you know a golden retriever there sitting patiently, listening to a lovely story to be told. Do they fall asleep at times?
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't you fall asleep when you're reading I do <laughs> yeah, that's the idea, but that 's why you read the children. <laughs> <laughs> to put them to sleep at night. <laughs> so there's been some really good results
1: with children from this program.
2: Yeah, they have. And um I I was at um out at the Lake Macquarie um uh, library at Toronto, uh, where we're having a book launch uh next month. But I'll tell you more about that later. And um mm-hmm. uh, one of the the children um got up and was talking about um various things. Actually one of the dogs was retiring and this child was thanking the volunteer and the dog for um, letting them join the program. And he just happened to mention, just casually, this is a child that could not read. Um, Well, he could read a little bit, but not enough. And that's where his parents put him into the program because he was very good at maths, but he started to fail at maths because he couldn't read the questions properly. So they put him in the program and, of course, both things picked up. But he casually mentioned the fact that he was um, reading Lord of the Rings. Well, you know, sort of that just sort of that everybody because um, I haven't read that and um, quite a lot of people that were there hadn't read it neither. And he was just saying how confident he is now and he just comes home and his mother said, no, he doesn't want to go out and play. He just comes home, picks up the, the book and reads the book. So, you know... That- oh, yeah, it it has big effects.
1: That is really good, and yeah, Lord of the Rings is some serious stuff. Then for yeah, someone that serious. can read. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, you mentioned about the book launch. What's that about?
2: Well, we we put out a request for all our volunteers. Penguin um, asked, would we have some volunteers that would write, like to write their true stories about what um, how their dogs have affected different people you um, know during their visits and they published a book called dogs make a difference and it's all true stories from our volunteers and it's a beautiful book it's um, lovely lovely pictures and, and um, lovely stories and it's uh, 200 odd, nearly 300 pages worth and it's 2995 um, if people were interested in buying a copy of the book because all the profits come back into um, the Delta Society to help us keep a dog in the in a facility or, or in the program. Uh, they could contact our head office in Sydney. They they distribute them um, from the head office in town. Or um, if you're in the market town next month, I will have some in there when we're um, uh, in market town doing a fundraiser. Or... If they would like to come out to Lake Macquarie Council's Library at Toronto on August the 12th at 10 o'clock, we will be having a book launch out there. And uh, so you're quite welcome to come. That's a
1: serious book, um, Pam, like 200 yeah. to 300 pages.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. No, it is a very you know, big, serious book.
1: I guess the thing I think about in one of my segments on the show is he's always discussing what dogs were bred to do and yep. we've got breeding that goes back hundreds of years with different breeds and they, they could be bred to retrieve, yep. to hunt, um, you know, uh, look, look for foxes, go into burrows, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's great to see that now in our modern day life, we're using dogs to help in these kind of instances.
2: Yeah. Yes. And, and we've got no particular breed. Yeah. These are just extraordinary, ordinary dogs doing extraordinary things. It's we've got um Rockwheelers, German Shepherds, um, Chihuahuas, uh, or you name it. We've got everything in the in the program, and we've got the Heinz varieties in the program as well. And and we I was going of... to ask you about. Sorry, I was going to ask yes. you about
1: that in terms of volunteers and any particular dogs that are needed um, for Delta Society.
2: All sorts of dogs that need it. Any dog that's um, 18 months of age or 10 or under, and uh, has a nice personality, is um, wanting to interact with people, and is basically obedience trained. We um, we're looking for those type of dogs. Uh, If they're interested in seeing what our assessments like, because each dog will have to go through an assessment, there is a, a YouTube assessment up on uh, our, the Delta Society's web page which is www.deltasociety.com.au and if you go to mm-hmm. therapy dogs you'll see a, um, an assessment that we, we run the people through and they'll have an idea whether or not their dog could do the assessment and all they have to do then is contact me and I'll send them out the application form and they'll go from there.
1: And like if someone was interested to become a volunteer for themselves and their dog to come and do the things that you guys do, go to nursing homes, go to libraries and help teach kids to read, I guess what's involved? How many times a week do they have to go out?
2: Uh, well, that depends on the volunteer. I have some volunteers that are retired and they've got um, a time on their, at their hands and they want to go out more than once a week. but. We we like um, them to go once a week, so uh, there is consistency with the the visits, and um, if they're in the nursing home, uh, it is important that we have consistency for the residents. But we we will take once a fortnight at the very um, maximum. We've got to have that consistency, so if I have a dog that can only go once a fortnight. I have to put two dogs into that one facility so that there is a visit each week. Um, and it's a feel-good
1: project to do, isn't it? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, it's it's more than feeling warm and fuzzy inside. It you just you you really can't visualise the effect that it has until you see it. I I, I was at special needs school. Uh, just recently where we put a dog out and the, um, person could not, or didn't speak, could speak, but didn't speak. And, uh, when the, when the dog came on the scene, all I could get was, my dog, my dog, my dog. And that was, you know, the, the, the staff hadn't heard that child speak for, oh, I think it was two years, I think someone said. So, they're the type of things that make you feel, feel good inside.
1: Yes, yes. Pam, thank you very much for your time. It's always good to hear from you and the good work that the dogs and the volunteers are doing at Delta Society in our community. And yes, if you want to join Pam and see her at Tor- Toronto Library for the book launch on August the 12th at 10 a.m., also you said at Market Town, didn't you? Yes, yes, Throughout
2: we'll be in at Market Town on the 12th of um, August, right, 12th to the 18th of August. 12th to the 18th of August. Thank you, Pam. Thank you.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you, Pam Withers, and thank you, uh, Danny Carrington. And uh, we'll be back again with them, well, with Danny anyway, next week, next Wednesday in Pet Chat. Dr. David Tabret, today's vet is with us, and anaesthetics yes. you want to talk about, David?
3: Yes, Jane. Look, as I said, I was actually away at a conference last week, and uh, I had the very great privilege of um, on Saturday of sitting in the surgery stream listening to a great speaker, Dr. Bryden Stanley and Geraldine Hunt. Uh, Bryden's from Michigan. Uh, one of the things that impressed me about this the topics that they talked about, which was focusing on uh, abdominal surgery, mainly intestinal, stomach, and also um, caesareans, was that um, although it was surgery, there was obviously content related to anaesthetics. And I thought that's an area where there's often this mystery that's... Uh, around what actually happened. So I thought, let's try and peel back the layers and expose a few of the secrets. We've only got a few minutes, so if I had five years, I could... uh, Go through it properly. (laughs) Yeah, take a textbook and read it. But um, one of the things that was really impressed was because Bryden's from the US, uh, they don't actually have the same drugs that we use. And one of the things that she lamented was that there's a product that we use. It's called Alfaxan. It's only used in veterinary practice it's not used in humans and uh, from my own personal perspective it's uh, using it is, is an incredible anesthetic drug and it's actually as a matter of fact developed locally at Rutherford uh, and it's gone worldwide and one of the benefits of this medication it's an injectable anesthetic so we use it at the start of the anesthetic is that it has little impact on the heart and lungs um, and if you think about an anesthetic what does it do it depresses your neurological function so you lose consciousness. Um, and actually, to give you the good definition of an anesthetic is that you lose consciousness, you have muscle relaxation, and um, pain pain relief, and it should also be what we call anamanestic. Animen- I think I got that right. Actually, you lose memory of the uh, of the event, so that um, you know you can wake up feeling refreshed and obviously uh, and don't have any, any experience of uh, the actual surgery. So. Um, over the years, and really the history of surgery is only over the last 150 years that we've had access to anesthetics. And um, we've progressed from basically, uh, you know, chewing on alcohol and holding onto a, a tight leather strap between your teeth to now using things like ether, chloroform, and then we moved into the inhalant anesthetics. And we still use those. So when we talk about will breathe in the gas, and most people would have that experience. Oftentimes they're using a drug called sevoflurane, which is actually um, uh, dissolved into the gas, and so as you breathe it, it then travels through your bloodstream and into your brain and causes the anaesthetic response. Um, we still use those drugs, but we also use injectable because unlike humans, uh, dogs won't count to 10 backwards And they won't sit there that nicely with a mask on their face. Um, And for most of our patients, we're going to use an injectable. We then are able to give them some gas, usually oxygen, uh, and dissolved in the gas is the anesthetic drug. So one of the things I like to use is isoflurane. And it has some benefits. There certainly are some risks associated with anesthetic, and, you know, we talk about those with our doctors ourselves and your vet should certainly address any concerns that people might have if their pet goes in for a procedure and requires an anaesthetic just raise those concerns but the i guess the overriding impression has been how safe these products are Uh, and the incident of injury or harm or accidents arising from the anaesthetics has dropped dramatically because we've improved the safety of the drugs and the medications that we're using. So the uh, number of procedures that we can do now and wake our patients up, and look, I graduated back, um, well, last last century. (laughs) These grey hairs don't just come with... uh, (laughs) With youth. (laughs) No, but um, I do remember some of our patients would actually take a long time to wake up, you know, like hours and hours and hours, and... And right into the night and whereas now our patients can be awake and i've actually done uh surgery on um, stomach or things like that or even you know stitching up wounds and things like that and they wake up from the anesthetic wake up from the surgery and they start eating and that's amazing i mean we always used to think oh you can't feed them but actually the medications the drugs we use and the ongoing pain relief are all part of this mystery of anesthetic so I guess the bottom line there also is how talented are vets? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that wouldn't be a speaking, would it? No, 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 no. <laughs> So, anaesthetics with David Tabret And Rebecca joins us from Warners Bay.
3: Hi, Rebecca.
4: Hi. Hi, how are you?
3: Good, good. Now, what can we do for you?
4: Um, yes, I have a Moodle who is um, eight years old, and it was a rescue dog. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure of its conditions, um, to make it a rescue dog. Um, but what happens now is he licks his paws um, continuously and to the point where um, we can't take him for a walk on the road because his paws are so um, soft that they um, start to bleed
5: and he's oh, worn
4: pads completely down. So I've got a. Um, a guard around his head Mm -hmm. um, to stop him from doing that for now. But um, I've had that on for about maybe three weeks now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just don't know whether um, I should just leave that on and do it for quite a few months to break the habit or is there something else I could put on his paws?
3: So how long have you had him for?
4: Oh, Probably about maybe a month and a half.
3: Oh, okay. Now, a Moodle is a Maltese Poodle cross, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, And when you said the paws, the bottom of the paws, the pads are actually soft. So is that where he's licking or is it around on the skin? Oh, it's all around. Okay. There's a couple of things that come to mind, and obviously you highlighted earlier that without knowing his full background, there may Mm -hmm. be some clues there. But the two areas I would be thinking that we're looking at here is uh, one is that it's, it's licking his paws because they're itchy. Um, and a lot of dogs, particularly these little poodles and Maltese and Shih Tzus and the Westies, little white dogs and things like that, will often do that um, because of uh, contact with various allergens in the environment. They're walking and so on. And that entry of um, uh, the irritants into the skin means that's where they're going to concentrate their licking. So it could be an allergic skin disease. However, we also see the other thing I'd be worried about would be that it's an anxiety-driven behaviour. And, and he again, does have
4: an anxiety
3: problem. Yeah, and and in, yeah. in that circumstance, what you find is that having the uh, E-collar, the Elizabethan collar on, he may start to do something else that's actually relieving the anxiety. So licking his feet is actually a calming behaviour for whatever his anxiety is. And if he doesn't have access to do that, he may do something else. Now, doing something else may actually be quite good. So I'm yeah. not saying that, you know, you have to take that off, but just be aware there's two two areas that we're concerned about. If it's a skin disease, uh, you certainly need to get that checked out. There may be some medication or some washes uh, that could help. But if it's an anxiety behaviour that's causing this, then you would probably find it's a more extensive, uh, you know, program of treatment, behavior modification, and in some cases, uh, some medication, anti-anxiety medication to help him get through the transition. And hopefully, um, once you've embarked upon that, um, which will require going to your vet, you'll have a much happier and healthier dog.
0: Good luck, Rebecca. And uh, now joined by Arthur from Bato Bay. Hello, Arthur.
3: Good afternoon. Hi, Arthur. What can we do for you? Uh, I've got two eight-year-old little three miles, and I was going to have them de sex and uh, I just wonder, is that too old for them to be de Never too old,
5: never, too
3: old. never, never too old to be de sex. And actually, I mentioned um, in my segment earlier about this um, surgery topics that I was listening to. One of the one of the topics was a condition. Um, called pyometron, which is an infected uterus, and this is one of we don't the reasons. That yeah, that's the that's probably the biggest reason why we want to get these two desexed. The main, what happens is that the uh, the ovary goes through a cycle, and dogs are quite strange with their cycles. But there's a phase they go through where they're secreting progesterone from the uh, ovarian. Uh, it's called the corpus luteum. It's um, collapsed tissue that sits in there. It pumps out progesterone, and what that does is it causes the uh, inner lining of the uterus to secrete some fluid. And then if perchance there's actually in, um, bacteria get in there, uh, then they can get this bad infection and it can kill them. So, oh. you know, you don't want to have to have your dog having pyometron surgery, particularly if you've got two, um, because the end result is they get desexed, but it's a much more dangerous procedure, much more dangerous situation. So far better to get them desexed. Um, at whatever age it is, um, because certainly an eight year old uh, Labrador, they're the ones that are likely to turn up sort of next cycle with an infected uterus. So I would definitely go and speak to your vet and get them booked in as soon as you can.
0: That sounds like good advice. Thanks. Good luck with that, Arthur. And Jean has rung in from Mannering Park.
3: Hi, Jean. How are you? Oh, he-
5: hello, David. Um, I thought you're. Were- Talk on the anaesthetics was very interesting, by the way. Thank you. Um, I have two long haired cats um, which develop furballs. Yep. Now, even though I give them dry food, which is supposedly helping them, they still have problems. And I just wondered if there was anything that I could purchase that would help them.
3: Um, and how old are these cats?
5: They're both over 10.
3: 10 years old. So they've always had problems with furballs? Yeah, yes.
5: yeah. All, but. <clears throat> I don't know whether this winter is particularly cold, but their coats are particularly thick. Mm, um, mm. And as they're getting older, they don't seem to cope with, with them as well?
3: Well, I think that's a very good observation because um, it, it certainly as we do get older, it's one of the things that can happen is cats can get arthritis. And so to be able to turn around and groom themselves, they may find that you know the muscles and joints don't work as well. And uh, right. whereas they're quite limber and lithe when they're younger, the older cat just says, oh, I won't bother. You know, it's too much trouble to turn around. And so they start to get um, badly matted coats. And then, yeah. you know, they could actually then start to lick and chew and get skin problems and so on. Right. So looking after their coat, whether it's because of prevention of furbals or other skin disorders, I think is very important. And there are... Um, Certainly, uh, you can get special brushes that help to remove dead fur from their coat. Mm. Um, from the point of view of controlling furball, you mentioned about dry food. Uh, yes. There is some dry food that actually has a higher fibre content with the idea that it helps prevent uh, furballs. Yeah,
5: that's the one I, I, I buy. It's supposed to help furball con- yes. control, but I'm not too sure.
3: Well, not, I mean, right. if they're if they're not uh, if they're not sick and vomiting or losing weight, then presumably it's working. Oh,
5: oh so, all right then. But, you know, I mean, so I don't know whether it was a vet or somebody told me to give them a few drops of cod liver oil, and I'm, I wasn't too sure about that.
3: I wouldn't use cod liver oil. Um, no, but there is a um, a, a gel. It's a, a tube of um, paste called Catlax and um, it's like a caramel paraffin gel.
5: Right. And you called can,
3: CAT? CAT Lax, L-A-X, L-A-X oh, right. short I for see. laxative. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that that provides any great advantage over just feeding the furball dye. No. So, oh, okay. you know, if okay. you haven't got any problems and it's just the outside's looking a bit raggedy... Yes.
5: No, they don't. Funnily enough, their coats right. don't mat. They don't okay. have those sort of coats. Um and one of them, there's no way I could get near him with a brush.
3: Okay, well, <laughs> you're not going to be able to give him the Cadillacs then anyway. So well, I would for just. A
5: few seconds maybe, but not to brush him.
3: Yes, and then you'll be in the bad books for a week. <laughs> yeah, so.
5: That's exactly right.
3: Yeah, I would just stick with the diet, food, um, and I, certainly I wouldn't go away from it though.
5: No, 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 no. I just wondered if there was anything else that I could help. No. With, but if
3: that's, yeah, it seems said, to be working for you so yeah. i mean if something changes down the track you can always look into that further although one of the things that was interesting was that um uh, one of the lectures on intestinal surgery said if you see an old cat and it's got a furball instruction uh, obstruction sorry uh, a long-haired cat presumably it's been licking fur all its life so why would why would it suddenly develop An an obstruction. obstruction. Mm -hmm. And the uh, lecturer's advice was to the vets was, when you go in there to do surgery, make sure you take a biopsy of the bowel just in case there's some other disease there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Gene, I would just stick with the diet and uh, keep doing what seems to be working.
0: But we do have a question for you, David, right now, and it's all about feeding dogs cooked eggs. Mm. Is that okay?
3: Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. You can feed them raw eggs, though, too. Um, The main... uh, like anything, you don't want to make one particular food the sole part of their diet. So I, we're usually talking about one or two a week people want to add in. Um, cooked or raw is fine in that regard. I think one of the concerns comes from raw egg contains a substance uh, called, I'm pretty sure it's called Avidin. And um, the idea was that that actually binds to, i um, pretty sure it binds to thiamine in the in the egg, and so makes it unavailable. But um,
0: so don't give them Vegemite as well.
3: <laughs> well done, yeah. No, it's actually it's look the amounts aren't going to be that great a concern. I mean, if you're feeding raw eggs every day, then there might be a problem. But there are other sources of um, interactions with different B vitamins and, and other things as well in our env- you know foods and environment. So. One or two raw eggs a week isn't a problem, and cooked eggs is...
0: Cooked eggs are absolutely fine. Cooked eggs are fine. Mm, fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're getting close to the end of Pet Chat, David. Um, I should just check the weather for our sponsor, New Tech Pavers, Rutherford for Natural Stone and Concrete Pavers. A fine and sunny afternoon coming our way this Wednesday, and at the moment we have 14 degrees at Cook's Hill. But, David, um, anaesthetics you were talking about earlier.
3: Yes, and one of the things that um, also was impressive uh, at these lectures was hearing Brian Stanley talk about um, the time to get into surgery Uh, with a dog that needed a cesarean and um, basically they've got it down to about four minutes from the time they actually give the anesthetic to delivery of the first puppy down to about four minutes and that's a fantastic um, result when you think that you have to have these patients with a, a tube in their airway and they're hooked up to all the machines and their sterile preparation done for surgery so there are differences between elective anaesthetics and elective procedures and emergency anaesthetics and emergency procedures. But essentially it's just the vet balancing up the different drugs to get the desired effect.
0: Mm. So you learnt lots of good things <laughs> yeah. up at the uh, well, Of conference.
3: course I do, Jane. Look, I, always... I, I pay attention uh, three days straight. Um, my brain did cope. Although I'm a little bit like Homer Simpson, I would just wonder what I had to throw out to fit in the new stuff. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> so, Pet Chat, getting close to coming to a close today. Can I just ask you another quick question? Um, is it okay, a good idea, to have a big big dog and a small bo- dog together in the same household?
3: I, I've seen this a lot, and, you know, the smaller dog, you sometimes wonder who's actually the bigger dog of the two. The smaller dogs seem to have a lot more personality and gusto and control the situation, So it's always they say it's the size of the dog inside, Um, but yeah, absolutely. That's Uh, fine. Just probably don't feed them the same thing. I think.
0: (laughs) You mean they might argue about it?
3: Yes. Yeah, and types of food and the bowl size and things like that. So yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. David Tabrett.